Do we really trust God with our finances? And this will be found in Malachi chapter 3. And I'll begin reading in verse 7. It says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Dear Lord, we just come before you, Father. After the reading of your word, Lord, it is sacred word, Father. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just... Open the minds and the hearts of the believers here in this room and those listening by soundtrack or on the Internet, Father, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you just touch us here. Help us to be obedient to your word, Lord, and that we will soak it up, not only just hear it, but be doers of your word. And we just thank you for what you're going to do in this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is interested in your money. Not because, you need your, not because he needs your money. He certainly doesn't need it. But because you need it. Since you are important to God, your money is important to God. God is interested in how you secure it, how you spend it, how you save it, how you share it. Immediately, some people say, don't talk about money. Let's talk about something spiritual. That kind of statement shows a lack of biblical knowledge and a lack of spiritual insight. For nothing is more, if you're looking on your notes, nothing is more spiritual than how you handle your money. It is the supreme test of where our heart is. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Adrian Rogers, a well-known Southern Baptist pastor, he said, A faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. Money is something we use every day. It's our medium of exchange. Our very survival depends upon it. How can Jesus Christ be Lord of our lives and not be Lord over our money? How can He care about us and not care about that which is so essential to our daily survival? Don't talk about money, you say. Let's talk about something spiritual. Wait just a minute. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. They don't say the root of money is evil. It is, it's the love of money is the root of all evil. If all the evil in the world is directly or indirectly traced back to the love of money, then that means there is nothing more spiritual that we can talk about today than our attitude towards money. Ecclesiastes 10.19 says, Money answereth all things. But it's uncomfortable, you say. I don't like it when the pastor talks about money. If that's true, you would not have liked the preaching of Jesus Christ. When he walked this earth, he gave 36 parables in the Bible. And 16 of them had to do with our attitude towards money. 
One out of every ten verses in the New Testament deals with our attitude towards money. Verses about faith, there are about 500. Verses over prayer, there are about 500. But when he talked about money, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talks about money. Remember the story Jesus told about the widow's mites. The Pharisees were giving their large offerings, and the little lady gave her two mites. That whole story has to do with our attitude towards money. If God's not interested in money, then why would he even include that story in his word? The unjust steward we find in Luke chapter 16. At the end of the story, Jesus said, If you had not been faithful with your money, who do you expect to commit to your trust the true riches? That whole story has to do with our attitude towards money. If God is not interested in our attitude towards money, then why would he include that in, our, in his word? The rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and asked what he had to do to be his follower. Jesus said, sell all you have. Come and follow me. But he couldn't do it. He went away sorrowful. Because he didn't own his possessions, but his possessions owned him. That whole story has to do with our attitude towards money. If God's not interested in our money, why would he include that? In his word, clearly God is interested in how we handle our money. I'll tell you who else is interested in your money. Satan. It's his desire to keep you under a curse and in bondage. And the best way he can do that is affect your attitude towards money in a negative way. This is a pretty disgusting illustration, but I had to do it this morning. I didn't have any flypaper, but anybody ever... Have flypaper hanging in their house. Does anybody have one right now hanging in your house? Well, I actually found this upstairs, and this is a, this was in the gifts and kinds thing. It's not a flypaper, but it's a fly stick. So flypaper, we're going we're gonna to call this flypaper this morning. And there are some flies. I left it out in the foyer last night to catch some flies. So real, real, they were live last night. Flypaper has on its surface a sweet honey-like substance, which is also very sticky. It's a simple principle. The fly approaches saying, I want the honey, I want the honey, I want the honey, I want the honey. He lands and begins to eat. He's saying, I got the honey, I got the honey, I got the honey. But then when he tries to leave, the paper says, I got the fly, I got the fly, I got the fly. Many people run around today saying, I want the money, I want the money, I want the money, but the money has them. Are you in that trap today? God is interested in your money and so is Satan. And one more person is interested in your money also. It's you. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. We're all interested in money. Heard the statement, money makes the world go round. Without money, we can't, we can't function in a society pretty much without money in, in today's society. Some churches these days hold their people accountable to the tithe, even, require, even requiring them to show what they make in salaries and calling them in if they get behind. We don't do that here. We don't, nobody asks you what your salary is. We do, they do in leadership though, because I've been called in on that. About five years ago, I was called in on that, that same, same very thing. I'll tell you a little bit more, more about that a little bit later. 
While I don't totally agree with this method, studies done in some churches have revealed startling statistics. There's 3 to 7% total giving. That's not tithing. But obedience is not about the church average. It's about you and you and you and you. Obedience is in your heart. And, it, and firmly, I believe, I, just, I want you to know my true heart is between you and God. It's not, nobody's trying to get upon you. Nobody's fussing at anybody. You know, I'm, I'm sure most of the people in this room tithe. Only you, you and God know that. Nobody, nobody knows your salaries. So you, you know the truth between that. The word tithe literally means tenth, ten percent. I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance several times. It means ten percent. Pretty cut and dried, simple. It's God's perfect plan. The wisdom of God planned for us a method of giving which is completely fair and equal to all who will obey, no matter what you make. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. Everybody in this room doesn't make the same thing. I don't make the same amount as Mike. Mike don't say, make the same amount as as David. You know, we, we all make different things. And that's why the perfect plan is 10%. Are you being obedient in giving that 10%? I can't make sure everyone is walking in obedience, but I can make sure and tell it like God said it. I'm not working on commission here. At this point, I don't even get a salary. This sermon is of not... of isn't of any benefit to me is for all of us. So let's look more at Malachi. Malachi 3.7, it says, we don't give to God, and this is in your notes, we don't give to God, we return to Him. For He owns it all anyway. There are three groups in this room right now. The first group is the person that said, it's all mine. I worked for it, I earned it, I deserved it, and I can do what I want to with it. And when offering times come, they say, I can give it if I want to, but I don't have to. If I feel led to give a dollar, if I feel led to give $20 or $100 or whatever it may be, but it's all mine, I can do with it what I want. I used to be in that category. That was where I was. I would, uh, before I came to this church, I didn't tithe at all. I might give $20, I might get $5. When I started here, I, I felt more led and I would give $100 a week. But that wasn't tithing. That wasn't my tithing. I felt like I was doing good if I, maybe not even a week, maybe it was $100 every pay period. I get paid every two weeks. It was something like that. I would just give $100. But it wasn't my 10%. It wasn't my tithe. The second group says, the tithe belongs to God and the rest is mine. In obedience, I give him 10%, and, when the re- and with the rest, I'll do with what I want. To be com- completely honest with you, that's where I am today. That's not where I need to be, but that's where I am today. I give my 10%. I'll give other offerings, but I'm still in that, hey, I'm, I'm tithing, and that's, that's all I want to do right now. That's, that's where I'm at. That's not where I want to be, but that's, that's where I'm at in these categories. The third group says it all belongs to God. And that's where we need to be. That's where we need to strive to be. And that's where I want to be. The tithe and the rest of it. I return to him what he has commanded, and then he entrusts me with the rest of his money. Just because I return the tithe doesn't give me the right to do with whatever I want to do with the rest of it. I still have to pray about every expenditure and my lifestyle and be a good steward of all of his money. 
I will be judged someday for what I do with this and with all his money. I will be judged someday for what I, how I handle it. And that's where we all need to be at that point is that God is all he is. He just lets us have some of it. And we're, we're commanded to return the 10%, but we also need to be at a point in our lives where we pray about every other expenditure. There's so many needs that we could benefit, and yet we put it all upon ourselves. We want new fancy cars. We want new fancy houses. We want all the latest fashions, the newest shoes, whatever it may be. And a lot of times we could have blessed somebody else that, that's in need. There's a radical difference between these two, first two groups and the third group. The first two say, I'm the owner and I share with God. The first says, I share with God when I want to. The second says, I share with God because I have to. And the third is, it's all God's and He shares with me. Which category are you in? Now that we understand that we are to return the tithe, what is the tithe? And this is in your notes. It is a definite proportion. 10%. Definite proportion. It's a simple calculation. It's as simple as moving the decimal point. Somebody help me out here. What's the, what's the tithe on $100? $10. What's the tithe on $1,000? $100. What's the tithe on $482? $48.20, right? Simple. Simple calculation. Just move the decimal point up. Since the beginning of time, tithing has been God's method. God's people throughout all of history have maintained the practice of returning to God the first 10%. Remember, 10% is not equal giving. It is equal sacrifice. But people say tithing is an Old Testament law. You ever heard that? No, God put it in the heart of His people long before the law was ever given. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. Beginning in verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of the Shedder Loammer, don't know how to say that, and the kings who were with them. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God of Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So they took all the spoils of war, all their increase, and gave unto the priest, because it was the continuation of God's worth, of God's work. The tithe, here in your notes, Abraham commenced it. Abraham commenced it. Abraham began it. Commenced. Let's turn over a couple chapters to verse to chapter twenty eight. Genesis twenty eight. Verse eighteen. Now we're going to do a little word study this morning. We're going to go back and forth in the, in the Scriptures. Is that okay if we use some Scriptures to show our points this morning? 
Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth back to you. So Abraham commenced it, but now here's Jacob, and he's continuing it. Jacob continued it. Then Moses came along, and, he, and God gave him the law. We find that in Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27, verse 30. And this is Levitical law. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy unto the Lord. Now what does he mean here when he says... If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he should add one-fifth to it. Now, this is the law. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But back in that day when this law was written, what, what, what the word here is saying, that if, if you didn't pay your tithes or you missed a couple of weeks, he's saying you should add one-fifth to your tithe to catch up. Because, because somebody has struggled without, without that tithe, right? The church is in lacking without that tithe. This, this, the temple was in need, and the the tithe wasn't there. So we need to need to make that up one fifth. So Moses commanded it in your notes. Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. A few hundred years later, what we've already read is that Malachi he confirmed it. Malachi three seven through eleven. We we'll read that again just for the sake of reading. It says, Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall a vine fall to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Then a few few years later we read in Matthew Chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So again, Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Malachi confirmed it. 
Yet Jesus commanded it here. Jesus said, you are right to have tithe, but you also should have done these other things. Tithing is a basic foundation, but there's much more to add than that. And tithing is not an excuse for unholy living. You can't buy God off, but notice, he does commend them for being obedient in the tithe. So Jesus there, he commended them. And, and remember here, tithing, just tithing is not, just, is not serving God in, in total. There's other, there's other things that we need to do to serve God and be obedient. It's just tithing is a, is a first step. How you handle your money is, is really important to God. So we see that Abraham commenced it, Jacob continued it, Moses commanded it, Malachi confirmed it, Jesus commended it. So who are we to cancel it? Who are we to say it's not important anymore? Who am I to say the church doesn't need my tithe? Who am I to say that my possessions are more important than God? Who am I to say that my possessions are more are more important? It's always been God's method. He has always used His people to do His work. Yes, the water of life flows freely here, but the plumbing costs money. There's power bills. There's mortgage payments, there's insurance dues, there's youth ministry, the children's ministry, transportation, supplies, grass cutting. There's, the things you have at home that you have to pay every month goes on right here in this church also. There's power bills, um, phone bills, computer stuff, everything that you seem to have at home we have here. And it's a lot bigger building than your home. It costs a little bit more to, to maintain that. For those we mentioned here in the Bible, tithing wasn't just a duty, it was a delight. Let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. It says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. It should be a delight for you to come to the house and give of your tithe and give of your offering. That's the right motive. It's love and obedience. You've seen the stickers that say, Honk if you love Jesus. We need to print some that say, Tithe if you love Jesus, because any fool can honk. (laughs) Tithe if you love Jesus. Think about the radical Muslims who are willing to give everything to their cause. They give everything they own, everything they are, for the sake of evil. It breaks my heart to see some of God's people moan and groan over a tenth of their income. Tithing is a privilege. And it's a definite proportion, but it also has a designated place to bring it to Tithing is a definite proportion, but there also is a designated place to bring it to. The local church where you have your membership. Here we call it covenant partners. Where you're fed. In Malachi 3.10, the storehouse is a reference to the temple. Part of the, part of the temple was a storehouse. This was an agricultural society in that day. When they harvested, they brought their first tenth of their wheat, their corn, etc., whatever it was, to put into the storehouse. When their herds gave birth, they took one out of ten to the storehouse. 
It was used to feed the priests. It was used for animal sacrifices. It was a medium of exchange to continue the work of God. The tithe was was brought to the place where the people worshipped. Today, that's the local church. If you're a member here, if you're a covenant partner here, this is... This is your designated place. This is your storehouse. This is your temple. Some people think they have a side deal with God or that He's told them to put their tithe somewhere else. But what He tells us in this passage, they're rationalizing. They want to explain why they can't tithe to their storehouse. We come together on what we consider God's day with God's people to study God's word. And we ought to bring with us God's tithe. Tithe where you're fed. Don't eat and run. You wouldn't do it at a restaurant. Don't do it here. You want to give to other churches or other organizations? Fine. Give over and above your tithe. The Word commands us to bring it into the storehouse from which you are fed. Try going to McDonald's and saying, I have a I have a burden for Burger King. I'm going to eat here, but I'm going to pay it over at Burger King just because I I have a burden for them. I'm going to send my money over there. Try that next time. There's a definite proportion, a designated place for a divine purpose. God's going to meet the needs of legacy outreach here in this building one way or another, whether you tithe or not. He has a plan for us. As Pastor Manning always says, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. He stole that there. My God is an on-time God, and He will provide. The churches don't, churches' needs don't change by one dime if you start tithing. But if you do decide to tithe, you can expect a great blessing. Malachi 3.10, it says, try me. That's an important phrase. It means put me to the test. Normally, we're not supposed to tempt God. But in this case, he says an, it's an unconditional promise. Put me to the test and see if I won't bless you for it. I will pass the test, he says. Ever heard someone say, I can't afford to tithe? I've been in that. I've been there. I was there. This is not a viable statement. Don't ever be caught saying that, for it reveals that you're tithing last. You're not tithing first. Proverbs 3, 9. I have these marks, so that's why I'm getting to them so fast. Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, there's a debate on the first fruits, and I'm not going to get in that debate because it is, it's really not of that importance. Some people consider the first fruits the very top of your paycheck, and some people consider... First fruits would be like, say, I started a new job tomorrow. And they would say that that whole paycheck, that first paycheck you got would be your first fruits. I've heard heard it put that way. But to me, that's not a, that great of significance right now. But I, I will say gross or net. You ever heard that? Some people try to say whether should I, should I tithe off of my gross or of my net. That is also up for debate. Honestly, right now, in this place, I'd be happy if everybody would just off a net, but gross is, gross is where I'm at. That's where I try to pay, that's where I always pay my tithe off of right now. It says, the sheep herder in Israel didn't deduct the cost of feeding his sheep or the value of the wool he didn't get to harvest and sell on the sheep he contributed 
or he didn't take a depletion allowance because wild animals ate a portion of his flock every year. When it came time to pay his tithe, he counted off every tenth lamb that had been born that year and gave it to the Lord. I know there's a big difference between what a person earns and what he gets to keep. But when I began tithing, I decided to take off my gross before deducting any expenses at all. I know that I could have deducted a lot of my gross for expenses like tax purposes, insurance, whatever. But Luke 6.38 says that with, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says that God would make us rich in every way so that we could be generous on every occasion. So I decided to be like that sheep herder and err on the side of generosity. I've always been glad I did because I've learned that you cannot outgive God. The person that says I can't afford to tithe looks at their budget and says, I'm going to deal with all these obligations and then if I can afford it, I'll tithe. Oops, look here. I just finished my checkbook and I can't afford it. Don't give God your leftovers. Give give to God first. That's the first thing. I don't when I get my paycheck at work, I don't I don't actually get a pay stub anymore. But I look at it on the computer and I, I print it out and I just send it to Sarah because she handles the bills and I, I actually I send her my tithe first, say this is the tithe and then this is the paycheck. And that's every Wednesday morning that's what I do. Or every other Wednesday morning. God says in Malachi, try me. Try this. See if it won't open the windows of heaven and pour out you a blessing bigger than you're even capable of receiving. See if I'm able to take the other 90% and make it go much farther than 100% ever could. Uh, own testimony in my own life. Like I said, about about four years ago after I... It's probably been, I've probably been youth pastor here for about six years now, maybe a little more than that. About four years ago, I got called in on the red carpet because I'm in leadership. And I had, I had been given my $100 a week, like I told you earlier. I had been given my $100 maybe every other week. But all of a sudden, we had some things coming up in our life, and I stopped. I slowed down. Maybe I might put $20 in. Well, the leadership in the church at that time noticed that. So I got called in. And at that point in my life, I made the decision. God, I'm either, I'm either all in or I'm out. I said, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And at that point, I was one of the ones that said, I can't afford to do this. We've made some stupid decisions and we bought stuff that we probably shouldn't have bought. But I trusted God. And today, I can, I can stand here and tell you, that, that our salaries have increased every year since that point. Honest testimony. And it's, it's not about that, but God says that He will bless us if we will be obedient. He says, try me in this. Let's try it. Just put Him to that test. Then He goes a step farther. In verse 11, in, in Malachi, Malachi 3, verse 11, it says, And I will rebuke the devourer, for your sakes. He says, I will rebuke the devourer. These agricultural people had enemies to their crops, which were floods, droughts, locusts. And God said, put me first and I will rebuke these enemies of your finances. Now, most of us here, we aren't farmers. Any farmers here? I don't know. But we do have enemies to our finances. Sure, they're called hospital bills. 
They're called car repairs, tuition, any unexpected expense. But my God, make sure the shoes last longer, the roof lasts longer, and the tires go farther. How will you fare with 90% and God is your partner? How are you doing with 100%? How's your plan working? If God really blesses me, I'll tithe, you say. We can't afford to add that to our bills, you might say. I'm not trying to put you in a straitjacket here. I'm trying to set you free. God will set you free if you'll just be obedient in this. But you say we've got a lot of debt. You can talk about financial freedom all you want, but as a believer, you'll never be free until you obey this. No Christian can skip over this step. When you tithe, there's always a blessing. But when you don't, there's always a curse. 8 and 9 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, And what have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. In Africa, there's a certain monkey that's considered a delicacy to eat. Anybody getting hungry yet? They have a proven method for capturing these monkeys. They build a little box. They put a hole in the side of the box and fill the box with nuts and fruit. The hole is just big enough for the money to slide his hand through. But once he grabs the food, he makes a fist and he can't get it back out of the hole. And he will stand there for hours rather than to drop the food. Matter of fact, he's so greedy for the food, the natives can actually walk right up to him, knock him on the head. He would rather commit monkey side than drop the food. Are you one of the people here today that are willing to commit financial suicide and not let go of the tithe? Who's in charge? Tell God He's in charge of your finances by returning the tithe. It is a trust fund. It's all about trusting God. Dear Lord, we just come before You, Father. Lord, we just want to pray, Lord, that Your people will receive this Word. Lord, that we will be obedient, Father. Lord, we know You are the, the healer of our house, Father. You are the Lord over our finances, Father. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that there would just be a huge commitment in this house today, Father. I don't know the hearts of these people, Father, but you do, Lord. You are their provider, Father. And I just ask, Lord, that they would just put you to the test. Lord, everybody in this group may already be tithing. I do not know, Father, Lord, but I believe that there's somebody in this house that needed to hear this today. Lord, we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We just want to thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.